hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Now, today's episode and guest, very, very interesting. Uh, George, I'm going to tell you about him in a minute. He does films that deal with social issues. And I tell you what, it's I, I say in the interview a few times, it's kind of like he's brought this elephant into the room and said, guys, we've got a problem. Um, can anybody see the elephant? We actually need to deal with this and address this problem. So he is fantastic. And I love that he's gotten off the bench and gone in this direction. And you're going to love this interview. And he's going to leave you thinking, is my house safe? And starting to think about, oh, my God, what sort of natural disasters do we have around here? And, you know, we've just experienced an earthquake and most of our houses were still standing. But, you know, it could have been a very different story. But we've also got bushfires, floods and oh, drought and all sorts of other stuff. But in America, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes and what have you. Now, this is not a an interview about disasters, but it really makes you think about, well, where do I live? What's around me? Is my house going to uh, stand up? And it's going to leave you with a few questions about what do I need to do? But we also talk about parenting as well. And this is a really good interview. Now, let me tell you about George. George Siegel is a film director producer who started out in TV news before starting his own production company, Move the World Films, Inc. He wrote, directed and produced the award-winning documentary films The Last House Standing and Licensed to Parent. Welcome, George. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on the show. Oh, I appreciate you coming. It's absolutely marvellous. I can't wait to dig into these two films because... um, I love that you're touching on issues that, that you know, like kind of like the elephant in the room, you know, that people people stay away from. And, uh, you know, I, I've gotten into trouble in fa- on Facebook the last couple of days for standing up for something. But um, I think that there's just not enough people. People try to sweep things under the carpet and hope they'll go away and, and they don't go away. So I applaud you for bringing these, these films to the surface and, some people aren't going to like what you've got to say, and particularly, well, actually about both of them, parenting and about the houses. But There's always going to be people that don't like what you have to say, especially on social media. And I try to stay out of those things now. I used to be real <laughs> opinionated on there, and I felt like I had to make my point. But the reality is, has anybody ever changed anybody's mind on social media about anything? No. 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 So why, why piss off half the people that might watch your film? So I... I will refine or leave my um, opinions to the film itself. And even in those, it's not always my opinion. It's the opinion of experts that know a lot more than I do. And so as a filmmaker, I try to tell the story, but I try not to push my opinion on people 
because you need to watch it and form your own opinion. Yeah. And you're very right about that. You know what? But I think we're all emotionally driven at the moment. It's very hard to, to, to pull back. But no. with your films, like you've had a long history of, um, you know, with film and, and as a newscaster, a sportscaster, weathercaster, like this massive big um you know, you know, history in front of the camera and behind the camera and producing that. How did you get into that area? Well, when I was in college, I, I originally thought I wanted to go to law school, but I quickly realized I wasn't that smart. <laughs> and uh, and I certainly was not a, a great student. So I, I went to the next thing that I thought I had a skill set for. That was communication and uh, wanting to be on television. So I got into the television news business. And, and back when I did this, because I, I'm absolutely as old as I look, um, <laughs> that was when, in the media when you weren't allowed to give your opinion. Nobody really cared what your opinion was. Your job was to tell the news or to tell the weather or to give the sports. It's evolved so much now into opinion-driven news. You know, you tell me a news channel, I can tell you what they stand for and what they believe in. Yep. And it didn't used to be that way. You know, I don't really... I don't need grandstanding and opinions. I want to be able to watch the news. Yep. And so I'm glad I'm not in that business anymore. So then I went into a business, which is kind of the opposite of that, where you, you are telling stories and you kind of need to take a position or, or stand for something. And that's making documentary films. Uh, well, you've now formed your own company, Move the World Films, which is fantastic. What's behind that name? And, and like, what's the driving force behind it? Well, when I was growing up, my dad used to always have this expression by Archimedes where he would say, give me a, and he called it a lever. Some people say lever, lever big enough and I could move the world. And I thought, hmm, moving the world, maybe that's what we want to try to do with, with a film. And it might not be taking the world and completely moving it and putting it someplace else. But with that lever, as you're cranking on it, do you just get a little movement out of it? Does it just move a little bit and you start to get people's attention and maybe they start to follow what you're saying and what you happen to have a passion for, and maybe it opens their eyes to where it, it actually makes a difference. And somebody told me um, in the last few weeks uh, that, you know, if you could just affect one person and then another person, because when you try to, a lot of times when you're young and you're trying to make a film or do a project, you're trying to make it for everybody. And you really think you can just set the world on fire and you aim so big that you really end up speaking to nobody. You just kind of, the idea just is out there. But if you can affect a few people at a time and, and, and make a difference, it's a good feeling. Also, sometimes we measure ourselves by how many people we can change or how much we can change. But I say you've only got to affect impact one person. And if you've impacted one person's life and something changes for the better, that's a success. You know, that, that, that's massive. And I love the leverage kind of aspect you've put on that, you know, and it's, it's so true, isn't it? It's kind of like, and, and if you imagine that big boulder that you're talking about and just moving it, eventually it rolls, eventually it, you know, gathers its own snowball. And, and if, for anybody that watches the film, if you go watch The Last House Standing, which, which is on our website, uh, thelasthousestanding.org, our, our logo is animated for the beginning of the film where you actually see them move the world. And that was something I really wanted to, to have made for the, for the project. So it's fun. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, when you're working before in the news, uh, like with, with the, um, you know, corporations and the media companies and all that, did you have a desire to start your own independent film company back then? Or, or was there something that sort of triggered you into sparking that whole movement off? Well, when you're in the business, if you make it to a certain level, you're getting paid pretty well. And so it's hard to really think 
beyond that because you don't really want to walk away from that kind of money. Yeah. But I got fired. So it made it easy for me. It's like, whoa, I better reinvent myself quickly uh, and find out what else I can do. And I, I really prefer being behind the camera to being in front of the camera because too much BS comes with having to be in front of the camera. Um, you know, you're, you're told what to do a lot of times. You're criticized all the time. And if you're behind the scenes, you can kind of lay in the in the weeds. You know, you, you don't walk you walk into a room. People are going to know you for who you are, not that they recognize you from something. Yeah. And, you know, when you're in television news, you're not that big a star. It's not like celebrities that can't go anywhere because people generally treat newscasters pretty good. But uh, it's just it, it's I prefer to be anonymous. So you've got two films, um, Licensed to Parent and Last House Standing. So l- let's start with Licensed to Parent, because that was the first one that you you come out with now i've watched the shorts on that and uh your little your trailer i haven't seen the full film yet but there you know that that where that woman was blowing smoke in the kid's face and it was like oh my god and i i thought what what's so sad is that that happens all the time that kind of treatment and you said i'm going to quote you here uh, we need a license to drive, catch a fish, open a business, and even get married. But one of the most important jobs in the world requires no licensing or certification at all. You know, that's that's quite uh, it's quite kind of obvious, but profound and really thought provoking, isn't it? It is because if you think about it, I don't think most people really think about everything that's behind being a parent mm-hmm. and anybody in, that's capable of reproducing can call themselves a parent. Having the baby is not being a parent. That's just bringing a life into the world. The parenting is what you do from the moment you leave the hospital for the rest of that child's life. Mm. It's a full-time, 24-7. As they get a little older, you can back off a little bit. But it's a lot of work, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. And so the, you know, somewhat provocative to put having a child in the same category with fishing and driving and all those things, because those are different they're judged differently by the law mm. than having a child. But the reality is the only thing that the hospital cares about when you when you have that baby that they really follow up on is they walk out to the car to make sure you have the car seat put in properly. Mm. And I don't even know if they're still doing that today. They did it back when, you know, my daughter's now 11. Um, so there's you're really on your own. And what I ask people is if you had to take a test to see if you were qualified to be a parent, do you think they would have given you that kid? Mm. And I bet there's a lot of people they would say, no, this person shouldn't have a child. And you, we see it in the news all the time mm. of horrible examples of parenting. Yeah. And it just is mind boggling to me. Now, would we ultimately truly license people to be parents? That's not really what the film is about. It's more about supporting parents and helping them and helping them do a better job. Um, but the reality is most places don't. And when you raise a bad child, you th- everybody can stand on, hey, it's my rights. I can do what I want, depending on what country you live in, how free you think you are. Mm. But the reality is once that child leaves your house, you've inflicted that person on the world, on society. So if they go out and do a lot of bad things, it's on you. Yeah. And, you know, we see examples of that daily. It, it, it just it's unbelievable how bad parenting can be. No, a hundred percent. I see a lot of 
particularly mothers and daughters, you know, but oh, she's my best friend. You know, I'm doing everything with my daughter. She's my best friend. I don't know. I've got a real gripe about that because I just think you're not on this planet to be your kid's best friend. You're there to guide them so that they become functional adults and they have a happy life. Do you know, the, 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 and they're not har- inflicting harm on other people and that they can fit within society and they can be resilient. I think it was Michael Douglas had a line in the movie Wall Street where somebody said they needed a friend. And he goes, if you need a friend, get a dog. Yep. You know, that's that's what a friend if, if you're a parent and you're saying, I want to be friends with my child. I'm going to come out and say you're a crappy parent. That That's the reality, because that's not what parenting is. Now, once your child is in their 20s, you get the relationship changes where you can be out having a beer with them and they can say what's on their mind and you can say what's on yours. And it's a different level of communication. But when that child is in its growing years, you're not their friend. And anybody that thinks they are is really doing a disservice because you can't do that job and be their friend. There's too many challenges. Sometimes you got to put your foot down and it's not a, it's not a democracy. You know, you're in charge. I tell my kids that all the time. You live in my house. You're using my things. You're going to follow my rules. Now, I'm not waving a flag like I'm a great parent. If I had to grade myself on a daily basis, I'd be a C or D parent on many of the things that I do. So I'm not on a perch <laughs> pe- preaching to you. I welcome support. If somebody has ideas how I can do my job better, please bring it on. I'm, lo- I'm all ears. <laughs> well, when you were making the film, were, you, were there any stats that truly shocked you, you know, that, that you just weren't expecting? Um, some of the things we came across, um, and I, you know, it's been a few years, so I don't have the stats fresh in my brain, but the amount of children that are abused, the amount of children that are from, uh, divorced families, uh, sadly, the amount of children that have tried to take their own life. And I've interviewed kids that have, have tried to do that. And when you look into their eyes, I mean, it makes me tear up right now thinking about it. It's just, it's such a painful thing that their life is so bad that they think of ending it and that that's a, a solution for them. Mm. And it's just heartbreaking. And, and, and those are the things, that's the toughest aspect of making it. When you talk to a kid whose parents were abusing him and who's in foster care and who's getting abused, I mean, it's just heartbreaking because the, the child's innocence is stolen mm. when that happens and it affects them for the rest of their lives. And so while you can't be a child's friend, I don't believe, you have to protect them. And you, if you're in a community and you know something like that's going on with a child, people say, well, stay out of it, mind your own business. If you know something like that's going on, you got to tell the authorities, you got to step in and help because we all need to help. We, we need to look out for children. We can't let these things keep happening. Do you feel helpless or hopeless? Like if you, were you filming and just thinking, oh my God, I wanted to share this story. I wanted to share this sort of, uh, raise awareness to this this issue, but now I feel like, What's the point? This is such a hopeless, helpless situation. Or did you feel encouraged that you had the skills to make the difference? Yeah, I would say I would say encouraged, encouraged because we met people that cared and were trying to do something about it. So when we were up in Minnesota, we met um, people that they had a program to support parents and help educate them. In San Antonio, we met people that ran an organization that that helped parents get through the difficult times and enable them to be better at doing their jobs. We met a judge who got kids out of those bad situations and tried to punish the parents who were bad. And the ones that were able to get their lives back together were able to connect with their children again. So you saw signs of hope, but you still see all the bad stuff too, which is is very difficult because I believe we have to be very protective of, of children, but I'm hopeful. You know, unfortunately, 
at least in this country, I'm not sure how it is where you are, nothing really gets done on a day-to-day basis that makes things better. It, it's really up to us to make them better because the people we vote for, whatever party you're in, they're in it for themselves. So nobody's looking out for us. We kind of have to do it ourselves. I think we're in a slightly better position than than you are in America, but um, I've noticed over the years our judicial system is just is declining no end. There's no consequence. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you, oh, you murdered someone, did you? Oh, well, I'll, I'll give you two years, and if you're good, you can get out in three months. And it's just, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but it's just kind of like the, the justice isn't, isn't there for what people have done. But. Yep. And we, we are not going to go down that rabbit hole because no. that will get me into those things where, you know, I'll piss a lot of, uh, of people off that, that, that might like me. Um, but <laughs> I agree with you. I, I think that you know, nobody should get a pass for criminal behavior. Nobody should get a pass for, for things that inflict uh, bad things on society and on other people. They shouldn't. You, yeah. you, it, it, period. No matter who you are, no matter what your excuse is, there's rules. You got to follow them. Period. Yeah. So where do you think we've gone wrong in society? After doing this film, did you just sit back and think, I know where we've gone wrong? Yeah, we, well, I, I don't think that people take the job of parenting seriously enough in that particular film. I think that most people truly have no idea what they're getting into. And then you have one child, then you have two, then you have three. You know, it doesn't just get a little more difficult with each one. You know, you go from having to play man-to-man defense to zone, right? <laughs> they're at, you're outnumbered. And once they start, there's too many moving parts. You know, I, I joke that nobody should have more than two children. And, you know, I have five that I'm <laughs> responsible for. And then when they find that out, they go, okay, then it's okay for him to say that we don't have to hate him, but um, you know, it, it's, it's insane. So I don't think we take it seriously enough. And I don't think that um, society does enough supporting of parents. You know, when we're, if you're in the supermarket and, and the baby's screaming, what do you do? You look at the mom, like, what's the matter with you? Shut your kid up. You don't know what she's going through. You don't know that that could be the lowest point of her day. And sometimes just a smile and say, it's okay. You know, it just is enough to maybe help that moment. But we scorn, we, you know, and, and you know, we, when you see parents that, that let their kids race around in cars or stay out late throwing wild parties and everything, it's like, wow, just an accident waiting to happen mm. and, and inflicting pain on society. Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? Because when, you know, you seem to be about the same age as me. Now, I'm not having a go at your age. You, you, you just, you look very young and dignified, but it's, um, I'm Thank 58. You. So we're probably sitting, you know, around, in the, around the same era. You would be my younger sister. Ah, <laughs> well, let's just say we're the same age, right? Um, okay. <laughs> so, but when we were kids, you know, you you were out and about on the streets and, you know, you were in your neighbours' houses and every all the kids were gathering, you know, and we weren't hurting anybody. We were just riding our bikes and, you know, just playing together and, and you were at next this next door's house and the next next door's house and up up the road and you were off on your bikes and, you know, everybody was looking out for everybody back then. You know, all the parents, if, if a parent would say, I, you know, I saw your kid, I saw your kid down the street, you know, doing this or doing that. And and that's lost now. We just, we don't, you know, our big brick fences have come up and we, we don't even know who our neighbours are half the time. Well, and a lot of parents don't want you to say anything to them. If you say, hey, I saw little Tommy down there throwing rocks at birds. How dare you say that about my child? Yeah. You know, my perfect <laughs> little monster who's going to be a serial killer in, in two years. <laughs> you know, you as a parent, the parents that I tend to like and, and end up being friends with, 
are the ones that are open to the fact that their kid's not perfect, yep. that there are things they can learn. And if you have something, if somebody knows my kid's misbehaving or doing something bad, I've been called by parents before. And it's like, what, what can I do? I'm sorry. Did my child say that? I'm going to talk to him or her. I'm not going to allow this to continue. And, and that's the kind of thing parents have to be open to mm. is just doing your job better. Yeah. So this film, it's available for free for parenting groups all over the world. And um, it can be, it, we can make it available. I, I have it for rent on my website because as a filmmaker, we don't make any money. No. You know, it's a, it, 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 you make money maybe while you're making the film, but afterwards everybody wants you to give it to them. So if somebody had an, an organization or something, with, I, I would gladly make it available. I do that with The Last House Standing all the time. Um, but, the, you know, if you want to just watch it right now, you could go to our website and rent it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that just throws a, a couple of coins at the filmmaker. Yeah. But and why shouldn't we do that? Because it's uh, there's you know, they keep saying there's no money in the arts. But, you know, we, we, I'm an artist as well. I'm a creator as well. We just give stuff away. And it's like, oh, for God's yeah. sake, someone give me some money to put some food on. I just want to eat something decent for once instead of bread. But anyway. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> throw a few bucks. Yeah, throw a few bucks, but it is available. So, you know, people can rent it off your website, but it is also available, um, you know, for parenting groups to watch and to and to generate dis discussion and to generate, to raise Absolutely. awareness, you know, of the issues and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think it's really good. So I think we've covered it. I was going to ask you to tell us about it. I reckon we've covered it. I reckon we've done a real good job, Dick, unless there's something else you want to say about it. Well, The Last House Standing is the one that... Um, is really such a relevant topic right now because in in that film we talk about how we as human beings live where we want to live regardless of the risks that are associated with living there and every year houses get wiped out and destroyed and it, it's typically the same kind of situations it's out in the woods it burns down yeah. it's by the beach it gets hit by a storm surge it's in the middle of the country it gets hit by a tornado and you have your own weather hazards over where you are and people know about them, but they don't do anything about it because we're all kind of like the accidental tourists where you're just kind of walking around and you don't think anything bad's going to happen to you. And then when it does, it completely upends your life where, you know, you're like the you're in survival mode because you literally have lost everything. And I've yeah. seen that story again and again and again. And it's so tragic to see. And it doesn't have to always end that way. And so we have to do a better job. So that's what The Last House Standing is about. I know. It's but about. You've jumped way ahead of me, George. You've just, oh, yeah, I was still talking about licensed to parent. And you just, you I thought just... you might have been, but then I'm looking at the <laughs> clock and I'm going, let's see, she booked me for an hour. So uh, I, I better make sure to at least <laughs> turn this a little bit because I got to get people to see that film. We're right in the middle of hurricane season. My <laughs> no. goodness. We're moving over to Last House Standing now, but um, yeah, this is uh, you know, I absolutely love this. Now, don't worry, George, I'm going to talk to you for an hour because I love chatting with you. You've got you've got great energy, but let you know, let's let, let's go into the Last House Standing, and you've just sort of you know saying now about um, people building, not not taking into account you know what's going on in their environment. We just had an earthquake here yesterday, you know, which is the biggest one we've had in 250 years, and it was felt through probably half of eastern australia you know it was quite a quite a big one and it fortunately didn't do much damage but we've also had um massive bushfires where half of our state was burnt out um you know droughts and then which and the after the fire we've had flooding and and you it, it's 
there's always going to be stuff and it's kind of like well how do you how do you build you know how do you decide what's um you kind of trust the building construction industry don't you to to set you up properly that's a huge mistake Mm. yeah if that's if that's your plan you're in trouble because those guys are businessmen and women who don't necessarily build a house that's going to last forever they build what they think you're going to buy and that's a major difference you know, we give this example in the film. There's this thing called Hammurabi's Code in the old days, where if a builder built a house that an accident happened and it that took the life of the person living in the house, the builder was put to death. And it's wow. like the builder, the builder truly had skin in the game. Now you're lucky if you can get the guy or gal on the phone to come out and fix their crappy work because they've moved on to somebody else that they're, they're building a shitty house for. So you just never know you know, and there's some really good builders. I'm talking about the industry as a whole, though. They lobby to have standards not raised because as a business, why would you want to have to build a five-star fortress for every person? People might not want to buy it. So the premise of, of this film is, well, we care. You know, I don't want you building a crappy house for me. I want, I want you to build me a house that's going to survive the hazards and tell me what it's going to cost to do it. Don't cut corners, you know, don't send the D team in that isn't putting the brackets on right, mounting the, the walls to the, to the roof. Uh, don't, you know, don't seal up the envelope of the house properly. So water gets in. Um, don't do wood on the second floor when you live a few blocks from the beach. You know, there's a list of things that builders could do better, but the law doesn't require them to. So they don't do it. So as home buyers, we're on our own there too. It's like parenting. It's kind of the same. There's a theme for the kind of stuff I like to do. Um, and that's, it's, it's up to us. If we don't demand more from these guys, they're not going to give it to us. No, no. Wow. And so in this, in this film, like, and I hundred percent agree with everything, but it's, it's, and it is due diligence, but, ah, well, I guess, we're not builders. You know, the average person isn't a builder and, and doesn't understand all that. So, it's you kind of look at a house and you think you you know you get up in the roof and you have a look and you think oh yeah this looks good you get underneath it you think oh this looks good but in actual fact do we even know what we're looking for no and that's why you have to hire you hire a professional to look you know i've built a lot of houses over the years i know what bad work looks like now i mean i can certainly tell you everything that every builder i've ever worked with where where they saved a nickel i could walk you around and show you because whatever is a boil in the building process ends up being a major boil when it's done. You know, bad things don't turn out good later on. They cut a corner, you pay for it later. Uh, we saw that with the last house standing in Mexico Beach, the house that was the premise for the whole film. They had one plug socket on the top floor of the patio and the hurricane ripped a piece of the ceiling off there because it found a little gap in the ceiling. Now, that sh- if, if somebody truly was watching everything, they would have caught that. Mm. And these guys did a really good job. That house is a, is a poster child for how to build a house to survive, but they still had some things. Mm. So you really have to look at everything. And if you're building a house and the builder doesn't want you on the job site, I would run. You know, I would make sure that you could do multiple inspections, have somebody watching and seeing. You know, there's, I've seen stories, I've even seen it happen where you know they have a discontented crew out there working on your house and before they put the drywall up they throw their garbage in the walls yep 
And years later, when you have to tear it open for something, you find McDonald's bags and beer cans and Lord knows what else. That's horrible. And so, you know, you really have to know everything that's going on and you have to, if it costs you a little more to get an inspection, that inspection could be the difference between saving your life or not. You know, that your house is your biggest investment. Yeah. More expensive than a car. You're, I guarantee you, more people are more concerned about, are there two airbags in my car? What will happen if I get hit at 55 miles an hour? But they don't know diddly about their house. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I, I agree. We bought this house. It's out on, out on land, you know, it's 11 acres. And we didn't really under, we still don't know where the hell the water pipes are. You know, we asked and it's kind of like, oh, they might be over here, over there. And we're still, we're still finding them, but um, it, it is, it is really tough. That house you're talking about on Mexico beach there in Florida. If you, if you look at the, even the trailer of the, well, even just look at the trailer of the film and you can see this one double story house standing there. And that, as you said, that's the premise for the, for the film. But, you know, these what were, you, what were your thoughts when you saw that one house? And because if you look at the trailer, the rest, everything else is smashed to smithereens. And not only that, it's right on the bloody shoreline, which is shocking to me. I would never, never in a million years, and I don't even understand the whole building process, but I would never buy a, a house on a beach. I just think that's that's got to be a disaster anyway. But I tell you, if you look at news stories of things that have happened in, in our country in the last several years, a lot of people that live nowhere near the beach have had flood damage. You know, the people in Houston, Texas, from Hurricane Harvey, those people weren't even in a flood zone. And their lives, a lot of lives were really ruined by a flood. So the FEMA director, Brock Long, said in our film, he goes, if it rains where your house is, it can flood. Period. Yeah, yeah. So your example, your house isn't anywhere near the beach. Flood insurance would be very inexpensive for you. And it's one of those things where you go, ah, then I don't need it. Well, what happens if the storm drains back up in your neighborhood and there's some huge monsoon and all of a sudden you have 10 feet of water on your street? Yeah. I bet you'll be glad you have that flood insurance then, because if you flood, your homeowner's insurance is not going to cover it. Now, you think I sound like I'm not thrilled with builders. I feel, ask me about insurance people. <laughs> you know, they, the stories I've heard of how they don't pay claims and make people wait and just horrible experiences would make you sick. Yeah. So just like there's good builders, there's probably good people in insurance. But as an industry, there's a, you know, it's like the blackjack. You, you go to a casino you can buy chips anywhere, but it's very hard to collect your money. There's usually one window in the back over yeah. on the side. And that's the way it is with insurance companies. They know how to get your money every month, but they don't really know how to give it back to you. Yeah. And that's really why we have insurance, to, to have them help us. And I've just heard too many stories about how difficult it is. You know, this guy um, told me that, he, and I don't know, I didn't check this to, if this number is accurate, but he said in one disaster, 75% of all claims were rejected by insurance the first time around. Wow. And they have an algorithm that shows that if you reject a claim, there's a percentage of people that won't file it again. Um, that used to go on with health insurance in this country. The, the traveler's insurance for years was just rejecting everything. And there's a percentage of people that will never claim it again. So they save millions and millions of dollars. Mm. And that happens in, uh, in, in insurance for homes, too. And that's so true. We were booked to go to New York um, 
in uh, 2020, you know, and, and COVID hit. And so we had to, you know, try and get our money back. And and they, and I'm a persistent little bugger. You can imagine I'm like a Jack Russell. And 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 they were like, no, no, not paying you back. And, and I would just send email after email after email. I can't tell. I ended up saying to my partner, I'm making a full-time job out of this and I'm not getting any money back. But eventually. Did you get a money back? Did you I get got, it back? I got all of it back, all of it, except for two tickets on a Greyhound bus. And But the rest of it, everything, which I don't care about, that was bloody $20 or something. But the yeah, all the rest of it eventually came back and they kept saying, nah, we're just going to put you in credit and, and, you know, and I just kept arguing, 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 and finally I got it back. But that took, I can imagine why most people give up because most people would say, oh, it's only a few thousand dollars, just buddy, let it go. Just let it go. It's not well, worth the stress. Th- you know, they'll always try that kind of stuff. You know, I had a, yeah. one of my son was signed up or was my son or my daughter for a camp, uh, not this past summer, but the one before that when COVID mm. steamrolled us. Yeah. And they canceled the camp. And they said, we're going to give everybody a credit for next year's camp. And I said, no. I go, there's a pandemic. I don't even know if you're going to be around next year. And you're going to hold $1,600 of my money for a year? No, I want the money back. And they said, well, we're not giving refunds. I said, tell me where it says in here that you're not giving me the money back. Because I, I see that I could get a refund. And they go, well, we have administrative costs and everything. And I said, you sound like an organization that's not going to be around in a year. Because you're using money for this year for next year. And if you have a problem next year, how are you going to pay your bills? Because you've used this year's money. I said, I want my money back. And I was persistent like you. And I got the money back. Yeah. But I bet a lot of people didn't. No. And, you know, that's that's the thing. They'll get away with what they can. When when you were a reporter, you know, and you were out doing um, news stories and all that kind of stuff, like a roving reporter, not not sitting at a desk. Did you see um, a lot of disaster zones? Were you sent out to that sort of uh, to report on that? Yeah, I actually went to Moore, Oklahoma, which we ended up featuring in the last house standing because they had four major tornadoes. Um, hit them over a period of time. And this was the first one. Mm. And I didn't know it at the time that I would be making this film. And I interviewed a woman who the only thing left on the slab of her property was the bathtub and the mattress that she held over her during the tornado. Everything else was wiped clean. It looked like it was new construction, everything gone. And the look on this woman's face, I mean, you can just imagine the trauma that she experienced um, going through that. And I, I said to her, why don't you have a storm cellar? And she goes, we didn't want to spend the money. Oh. And we learned making the last house standing that a storm cellar, you can get between three and $4,000. And I know that's a lot of money to some people. So I don't want to make light of that. But if you factor that into a mortgage, which you're allowed to pay it over time, that can make the difference between living and dying. So instead of you know, going to the lake that summer, maybe you have a storm cellar that could save you and your family. I just don't understand the choices people make. Mm. And I, I got to experience it in, uh, in the TV news industry. And then making the film, it's the same thing. You know, I talked to a lot of people that if they had done something, it could have made it less bad for them. Sometimes it, there's nothing you can do. Mm. Um, then you want to have good insurance. Mm. You know, that's the last line of defense in anything is, did you have insurance? And, and unfortunately, most people at the end of the year, they go, gosh, I didn't need all that insurance. Nothing happened this year. That's the wrong attitude. You can't look at insurance as I didn't use it this year, so I'm going to take it off. Disaster eventually finds us. And, you know, we found that out in Malibu, uh, uh, this 91 year old gentleman, uh, Dick Corman, that we interviewed 
took the insurance off his collector old car and it melted in the fire oh. and his coins and all the things that he wasn't using because he didn't think he needed it. Mm. And that's usually when you need it the most. Wow. And Oklahoma, you know, they have uh, tornadoes rip through there all the time. And people say, I always say, you know, ask, why would you live there? People say, we love it here. <laughs> we love it here. <laughs> you know why? Because they legalized marijuana <laughs> in uh, Oklahoma. When we were in Moore, literally on every block, there was a dispensary selling pot. <laughs> every block. Because they didn't think it would pass. And it ended up getting voted for. And so and there was no regulations. So you could open them everywhere. So maybe that's why they're living there. If I get stoned enough, I won't know the tornado's coming. <laughs> we, we won't say everyone in Oklahoma is smoking pot, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know. I don't know. I'd be terrified, actually. And I'd, I'd have a shelter for sure. How did that? I can't imagine. I'm just thinking about that woman with a bathtub and, and a mattress she held over her. Like that doesn't even, that defies physics to me. You know, like her house is gone, but she, somehow she had the strength to hold a, hold a mattress over her within a tornado. That, that's. Well, the, the, because of the plumbing of the way a, a bathtub is mounted onto the slab in that particular instance, that's the only thing that saved her life that and you know she was able to, to to use that mattress but that had to be terrifying and and some of the people we talked to in more for the film experienced that over the years and then i've met some people who've never seen a tornado you know you watch tv and you read these stories and you go everybody's dodging tornadoes there all the time you must see them every day and it's no big deal uh but it's not the case i met some people that said i've never seen one i've, I've never experienced that and and they're lucky mm. but four times hitting a, a the same community we have it. We used a clip. Have you have you do you know the movie The World According to Garp with Robin yeah. Williams, um, where he's looking at a house with his wife and a plane crashes into it and he looks at his wife and he goes, honey, we'll take the house. She goes, what? And he goes, do you realize the odds of a plane ever hitting this house again? They're astronomical. We'll be safe here. <laughs> Four times more got hit by tornadoes like that. And after the fourth one, they changed the building code. Wow. I would have taken one for me to change yeah. the code. It took four. And I like more. I like the people we met there. And I, I want nothing but the best for them. But it took a lot to make that change. And, and it's paid off. Yeah. Because the reality is the bullseye of the tornado, there's nothing you can do. If an EF5 tornado steamrolls your house, it's probably going to do a lot of damage. But the houses a half a mile left or right that are a little out of the center now have garages that don't blow in, front doors that are built better, mm. houses that are bracketed better, so that houses around that aren't sustaining the same kind of damage, and and that makes a major difference. Wow, wow! You don't think about it, do you? You only think about the disasters that are that are relevant to you. We think about bushfires all the time, so we're we're most of us here are very bushfire ready, as ready as you can be, you know, and we, we do prep coming into summer and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, if a bushfire comes through, you're screwed anyway. Like it's, <laughs> if it comes right over. And do you, have, <laughs> do you have kangaroos punching you all the time and everything? I mean, I've never been over there. Uh, some friends of ours lived over there for a while and just loved it. Um, all I see on the news is that you're you still locked up in your house. Are you able to get out? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, we, yeah. Well, I live in the country, so I, and I live on a farm, so I can get out anytime I want. No, we're still, we, we can still travel a bit, but no, we have got a lot of rules. But um, but we don't have um, pet kangaroos, and they're not, they're not they're not hanging around kicking us in the head. Although uh, it's serious, it is quite serious. If you come over here, you don't touch an old man kangaroo because he probably will kick your bloody head in. But <laughs> no. I bet. But those fires looked really scary, yeah, and it, it it showed that a problem. You know, people talk about climate change, and there's more extremes in the various weather patterns. Yeah. So when we saw Australia burning, I mean, that's a scary thing to, to witness. And we have that here in the West, uh, out in California, uh, the fire, fire after fire, just, you know, it's so hot and dry. They have such a dry winter that, or if it's wet, it may, creates more growth for fire season later in the year. So every place has its, uh, its boils, so to speak, of what the problems can be. It's just a matter of how you prepare. So for example, in Australia, if, if a huge bushfire is coming your way, sometimes there's nothing you can do. But if you have the right built house that that embers can't get in the soffits of your house and there's ways that, you know, different access points for clearing brush around there, you've increased your chances of surviving that. I'm sure not every house gets destroyed, but light of in light of that, you need insurance, right? You have to have a good insurance policy. Yeah. Yep. Which some of them didn't pay, but yes, I, yeah, when the last, yeah, yeah well, the whole, the whole bloody hell, let's don't go back down that rubber burrow. But yeah. it's, it's, it's hard, you know, but I think, I think that um, you can't, exactly what you're saying, you can't always be ready. You can't always get it right. You know, you do, you can't. And, uh, you know, if a, if a fire's coming and it's bigger than you can, the, bigger than God, you know, you just can't do anything about it. You're going to get, you're going to get railroaded. However, there are going to be many, many circumstances where if you do to have preparation, you are going to minimise your risk, you know, whereas it could have been much greater if you didn't if you didn't do those things. So, and I think more people could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other things you can do too, which we learned from um, a woman in Malibu who wishes she had had a go box in a closet with a list of things you need to take if you have to get out of your house in a hurry because there's some things you'll never get back. If there's a family heirloom, if there's things from your life that you know there's a good chance you're coming back to a, a house that's going to be burned down, there's some crucial things you might be able to take. But you can't start planning that when you're evacuating. You know, Bobby Milstein, a, a fire expert in our, in our film, said nobody uh, makes their plan the day of the fire. You know, when catastrophe is happening, you're in survival mode. You're, you could be panicking. You're just freaking out. You need to have planned how to handle that in advance. And, and that's as simple as having a list of things you want to take, knowing an evacuation route so you can get out safely, um, and, and hopefully having done things to make your house as safe as possible before. What was interesting is in Malibu, this one woman had fireproof safes in her house, four fireproof safes burned and melted completely. Wow. Wow. The only thing that survived on her property, they had imported a pizza oven from Italy. And she said, which is kind of ironic, she goes, I wish I had left my jewelry in the pizza oven because everything else melted, burned to nothing. Wow. Yes. Well, we here in a, in a fire zone, we we all know we've all got bags ready. You know, as soon as summer comes, we all pack mm. pack bags and we always have our go-to go-to bags. And and we all and it's up everywhere. There's big signs up everywhere in summer. Do you, you know, do you have your bushfire plan ready? Do you, you know, are you 
you know, what's your plan? Are you ready? So it's kind of like it's expected that every house, I'm not saying every house does it, but it is expected that every home has a plan, you know, and, and talk about it with the kids and that. But some of us do, some of us don't, but we do and we plan we plan where the animals are going, which fences are coming down, which gates are open. You know, we keep our backyard watered so that it's green so all the big animals can go in there, you know, if there's a fire so that they're off the paddocks. And But you have to have that thought about because if on the day you're too emotional, you're too bloody, you, your brain is frantic. But anyway, so over these years, you know, you've you've reported disasters. Now, do you think that natural disasters are getting becoming more frequent and more intense? You know, if you look at history and you look at, uh, they were just talking on the news here recently about a hurricane that came through here in the night, I think it was the 1920s in South Florida. And it talked about the damage that was done and, and how bad it was. So there's always extremes. Mm. But I can tell you this, that the experts in our film say climate change is real and it's creating more extremes in what happens with our weather. So for example, uh, late season hurricanes where they can travel in warmer water up the Atlantic coast and affect other parts of the country or they form in the Caribbean because the water is so warm um, later into the year. You know, it's really dry out in the West. It's warmer, hotter, drier. So the fires get worse in the spring. You know, the extremes of cold and hot, that's ripe for tornado season, that contrast in air masses. So tornadoes appear to get worse. So the experts believe that climate change has had an effect on the extremes that are happening in our weather and the severity of it. And then you factor that in with people doing what they want, not thinking anything bad's going to happen and just live anywhere. We had an expert in our film, Hank Ovink, who's from the Netherlands. And he's a gentleman who uh, President Obama brought in to help uh, her after Hurricane Sandy in, uh, in, and get everything back together in the Northeast. And he was telling us how in the Netherlands, there's places they don't let you live. If, if an area is deemed to be a flood zone and it can't be saved, they're not going to let you build a house there. They make you move somewhere else. Yeah. Gosh, can you imagine doing that in the United States? Telling, I mean, people here will argue about whether or not to wear a mask. They'll argue about you know, whether or not they can smoke and blow smoke in your face. Good luck telling them to move away <laughs> from the, the, the flood area. They're going to do what they want. <laughs> until it floods and then they're on the roof crying for somebody to rescue them. exactly so yeah <laughs> go figure <laughs> oh look we have it here too they build housing estates on swamps you know they just load it yeah. up with dirt and then and then um build houses but the point is over time wherever that water came from in the first place it's going to come back it's going to start bubbling up again and you buggered it's yeah, when I grew up a, a lot of my uh, younger years in, in Southern California, and there's an area there in Marina del Rey, which is kind of near the airport. And they would say this whole area was a flood area and you can't build there. It's now fully developed with apartments and office yep. buildings in a flood area. Yep. Also, there's areas that are built on ground that isn't solid. It's not rock. Mm. So it's the worst place to build for an earthquake. And it's all developed. So... We may think we know what the potential risk is, but once money is put down and wow, we can develop that. And uh, our expert on earthquakes in the film said if a major, when the, not if, when the major earthquake hits LA or San Francisco, over half the buildings will be uninhabitable. Wow. 
They will not. I mean, that's staggering to think about Mm. an area as large as Los Angeles or San Francisco and say half of the buildings won't be able to be uh, lived in anymore. Mm. That's insane. And we know how to build them better. They do it in other countries. They do it in Japan. But in the United States, they can get away with not doing it. So they don't do it. And eventually that's going to hit. It's going to be it's going to be a catastrophe. So they've already had one big one. Like there's been one big one through up that side through LA and San Francisco. I can't remember when that was, 2000 and, I don't know, it was early 2000s. Well, one it? of them was in 89 it, during the World Series. I was at the ball game <laughs> oh, uh, no. between the A's and the Giants. I was on the top deck of Candlestick Park. I thought we were going to die. I thought it was, it was just frightening how much that stadium was shaking. And I've been in some big earthquakes. I, I would never live in California again. They're probably going, good, we don't want you back there. But um, <laughs> I, I, I'm scared to death of earthquakes. At least a hurricane you see coming, yep. you can prepare. You're just sleeping or you're driving under an overpass and a, a, an earthquake can hit and you're, you're finished. Yeah. And one other thing, you know, we, we, we ripped the news media. You'll love this. Every year when I worked in, I was working in San Francisco, and every time there was a tsunami warning, they would send a news crew down to the beach to cover it. <laughs> Think about how incredibly stupid that is. <laughs> and what moron back in the newsroom, news director is thinking, hey, this is a good idea. Well, let's send Johnson down there. And then if there's a major tsunami, we'll get video just as he's getting wiped out. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's what that business is. Look at the guys, the Weather Channel. I love those guys. I'm riveted to it when it happens. You know, the, the Jim Cantores and um, St- uh, Stephanie Abrams. I, I watch those guys religiously. But that's insane to be out in that kind of weather. Yeah. <laughs> Only, you know, how come a street signs never smack them and knock them over or they get blown over? It's just crazy. I admire what they do because it's riveting television <laughs> and they're really good at it. But think about how crazy yeah, that yeah, is yeah. to risk your life like that. Yeah, but the news has become more entertainment than anything, hasn't it? It really has. It's anything, anything to get people glued to that bloody screen. Well, maybe that's why I didn't last, because when the news director used to say, there's a hurricane coming, we want to send you down to the coast, I would say, common sense tells me if the storm's coming from that direction, I'm going the other way. <laughs> I'm not going towards the storm. You're not paying me enough for that. That's insane. <laughs> Send the morning guy out there. I don't want to go out there. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. So um, this, um, I still want to, I still want to go to this house on Mexico Beach just before we get off this, um, you know, topic. But what, what, why was that house so good? Well, when they talk about that house, a lot of houses build to code. He exceeded the code. Uh, he wanted to know not building the code. What do I have to do to, to survive the hazards that could actually happen? Yeah. Here? And there's a major difference. Yeah. You know, that some neighborhoods, the code might be, and, and even, and this is insane. Mexico beach raised their wind rating. It was 130 miles an hour that you had to build for, but all a lot of the, the structures that were there were from way before that happened. Yeah. So they were at a really low code and they only raised it to 140 miles an hour. But if a, the storm that wiped them out, was like 165 miles an hour mm. and storm surge of 10 or 15 feet, maybe higher. And so they didn't even change the code enough to survive if that storm hit again. This particular house has pylons that go, I think, 30 something feet into the ground. Um, and the way they had a breakaway staircase so it couldn't pull the house with it, um, the way they had the roof bracketed on, 
the kind of windows they used, the the concrete walls that they had, the um, the styrofoam with the with the rebar in it, and the um, and they pour concrete in there, poured in place. So this house was really incredibly well built to survive that. And even when you plan those things, I still had somebody tell me, "Well, I wouldn't want to be the last house standing because I wouldn't have any neighbors." <laughs> I looked at this guy like, are you a moron? <laughs> so you're what everybody's running into the fire. So you're going in the fire with them because you don't want to be alone. How about being the last guy? How, your stuff is safe and it's tragic for everybody else, but at least you're safe and your stuff is and you'll have the beach to yourself. You know, why would you do a lesser standard? Because everybody else is. Yeah. yeah. And that's a mentality we have to fight. I, I want to do better than everybody else. I don't want to just be mediocre because everyone else chooses that. Wow. <laughs> and that's amazing <laughs> but so really the solution is just just build, just exceed the codes just just do better and think about think about what, what sort of environment you're in and what what disasters are most likely to come your way and just exceed the code that's really exactly and you can get a lot you can get a lot of that information we have it on on our website the thelasthousestanding.org there's a resources page on there and you can go to FEMA and other resources and find out what the hazards are where you live mm. and, and see how your house might be built to survive them. And the problem is people go, well, if they're building it to code, it has to be safe. I guarantee you they're not looking out for us mm. the way we need to look out for ourselves. So let's stop rewarding crap. Yeah. You know, and, and the problem is the real estate market is so hot right now in this country and places that if I see a house that's not safe, but it's kind of got the eye candy and it's in a nice area. If I don't buy it, somebody else is. So then you have the pressure to ignore the problems to get into that house because you're desperate to have a place. The problem is the things that are wrong when you're buying it aren't going to just get better. And you're rewarding some builder for doing a mediocre job. And it's now your problem. It's not their problem. When your house washes away, they're not coming. Mm. It's all you. And so we, as the people that are inhabiting these places, we have to demand more. We have to look out for ourselves because there's no way a bunch of politicians are going to sit around and go, hey, let's make that neighborhood safer. I mean, it happens. It does happen. It happened in more. But it, look, it took ma four major tornadoes. Mm. You know, we'll, we'll all be in the ground by the time those things change. I, where I live, there's a lot of people that are, do a great job of evacuating and disaster management but they're not preventing the damage from the disaster. We're not even close to ready. If a major uh, hurricane hit Tampa, half of this place would get wiped out too. It's just not built for it. Yeah. I have a lot of friends in Tampa too, so I'm going to pray for that not happening. But, <laughs> but the thing is really it's house prices are going up. I don't know what they're doing over there, but they're just, they're just doubling. And like, it's, it's insane how much a house has gone up in the last even five years, you know? And so it's getting to a point where it's kind of like, I can barely afford even the minimum of houses, you know? So when you say we've got to do better and we've got to exceed the code, really we're living on hope because we can't afford, we, most people can't afford to exceed it. And I know the reality is you can't afford not to, you know, if something happens. But so we're really just living on hope and a wing and a prayer, aren't we? And just praying to God that nothing ever comes our way. That's a line in the film from Joseph Barbera, who goes, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> you know, it, and, and it's a great line. It's on our poster, yep. because if you think about it, hope's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to solve the problem. It's not going to save you. 
And I understand that, that people don't have the money to do certain things. Well, then that's where you better make sure if I'm going to buy this piece of garbage that I better have insurance for it. And I better have a way of being as safe as possible because I am just rolling the dice that it's going to be okay. Mm. And what the problem is, what you really need to do, if you did a spreadsheet, a cost analysis of what your risk is and what it's going to cost, the intangibles of the downside, you can't calculate. Being displaced, not having clothes, food, water, not having a place to uh, over your a roof over your head that's not leaking for months at a time, no air conditioning for months at a time. Mm-hmm. You can't put a price on those. Mm-hmm. But if you did come up with a figure, then it was like, oh, wow. So if I don't get the granite countertops, but I actually have them put better hurricane brackets in and better windows, I might be okay. Yeah, make sure your door doesn't blow in. There's You can get as something as this fabric, uh, a Kevlar fabric you can put over your front door that can stop your front door from blowing in or your back door. That could be the difference between your house falling apart or not in a major storm. So you get an inspector in, you have them look at it and not the inspector that is just going to come out and go, yeah, it looks pretty good. Just have them uh, fix that shingle on the roof and that plug socket's loose. Yeah. You want somebody that knows how to look for those kind of problems and you can find them by talking to people. Every, every community has them and give it a good inspection and, and know what your risks are because Gosh, when you talk, when you hear people say, yeah, my roof was leaking, a guy came by and put a tarp on it and charged me $10,000 for that. You know, disaster brings out the heroes and the first responders and the, the people that save everybody. But it also brings out the dirtbags and the thieves and the, the crooks. We met some of them making our film and they were ripping people off for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm. And that's horrible. So you're already a victim and now you're getting victimized again by cockroaches that are just trying to pick at you. Mm. And it, it takes a bad situation and makes it worse. It's getting really dark here, but uh, it's, it's the reality. Those are the things you have to think about. Oh, it is a reality. And those people are out there. They prey. They prey on people who are, who are devastated, who are victims, who, are, who are, f- are feeling helpless and hopeless. And they bloody prey on them. They're opportuni- Cockroach is kind of a little bit nice, actually. I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> Dirty, rotten scumbag yeah. bastards, I reckon. But anyway. <laughs> well, if you ever, you know, if you ever go out at night, I, this is what I can, I, I think of after a disaster as if you were out in, the, in a field or out in a city and you put a bright light on in the middle of the night in an area of complete darkness, the bugs and the yep. <laughs> things that would come crawling out of the woodwork would just make you sick. And that's what happens after disaster. Yeah, that's right. And I've heard stories from people that say they signed over their insurance to a contractor who was going to fix their house, never saw him again. Yeah. And now that guy controls their insurance money. So now we're talking about insurance, which is hard enough to get those guys to pay. And now you have to deal with a crooked contractor that got to them first. Mm. So I just feel so bad for those people. Just heartbreaking stories that um, if you can do everything you can to avoid being a victim, you're, you're better off. Yep. No, 100%. And I also think that, you know, going one step back is that you said climate change is making it worse. And I've heard that. I do climate change workshops all around the world. You know, I, don't, I know nothing about climate change. I know it's an issue. I know it's a problem. I, I support people, you know, climate change groups to get projects off the bench, to, you know, so that they can actually start addressing um, some of the climate change issues. So if, if we, you know, Yes, we're looking at houses and, yes, we're saying what can we do better, but if we also start looking at what can we do better for the world, for the planet, for the 
for humanity, animals, the planet, the climate, you know, we actually start to become more proactive in that space. It's not going to, like, we've got some chance of, uh, you know, we're never going to reverse it properly because we've screwed it up to such a damn horrible point, but we've got some some chance of slowing it down and pulling it back and, you, you know, just not 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 ripping the carpet out from under us in in two years time you know we 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 need to we need to be more focused on how we're treating the place as well well one of the scientists in our film jennifer francis um said we can't stop it but we can slow it down and and that's the way you have to think about it unfortunately people talk about doing things in in that what they think is going to save the climate but it actually uses more resources in a different way and and, and all that stuff, I, I leave that to smarter people to figure out. Just tell me what to do and I'll try to do a better job on, on, on my end. That's still not going to help the person buying a house or building a house right now. That's not going to help you in your immediate space. It's more of a, a forward thinking. Let's protect the world for our children and our grandchildren. And I think that's great. I'm never going to knock that. But that's not going to save your house. That's not going to save your possessions and everything you have right now. You can't wait. If, you're gonna, if your hope which hope is not a strategy. If your hope is, well, they're going to fix climate change, so I'll be fine here. Uh, that's not going to work out too well for you. But 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 it still comes under that that whole principle, which I live by, is I'm going to plant a tree today that I'll never sit under the shade of. You know, and I, I really think that when you're talking about, you know, it might help our children, but why the hell wouldn't we be doing that? Why wouldn't we, why the hell wouldn't we be saying, well, I don't want anyone else to go, I don't want anyone else to suffer. So why don't I just do my little extra bit now so that the, the future can be better? And, and, you know, I might lose my house, but I damn well don't want the kids to lose theirs. You, you know, so it, it, there's so Absolutely. much to be done and it's... Um, you know, I I so applaud you for for having these films that really and it is it's bringing the elephant into the room and saying, okay, guys, there's an elephant in the room and we actually all have to look at it and deal with it and stop burying our heads in the sand." But I I love that you've done that. But not there's no but. So, um, what is the future for Move the World Films? Where are we going? Where are we heading? Or is that a deep dark secret? Well, one of them, one of my ideas is a deep dark secret. Um, there's there's a book I'm working on that has nothing to do with this stuff, and I can't talk about that either. <laughs> um, so I, I do have some my they're all top secret. Like anybody's really sitting around waiting for this stuff. Um, you know, you just hope you get an idea out before somebody else does it. The the thing about films is, if there's another film about the last house standing, I welcome it. You know, but there's some ideas you really don't want um, somebody to do first. Uh, but I'm working on a bunch of different things, always, always work in it. And then, you know, we, we, may, we may do more with the concept of the last house standing too. So, uh, the wheels are always turning. So, so we'll keep the lead on the deep dark secret box, but, uh, there's all you, yeah, you, the wheels are always turning and there is, we, we can expect more great films from move the world films and we can expect a book and uh, who knows if that's going to be full of uh, <laughs> impact and dark secrets, but <laughs> it's coming. And we've started a move the world, a move the world podcast. Oh, fantastic! Where where we try to talk to people that are doing something in their life or in their job to help move the world, and we we interview them in the podcast. It's new. It's on our website, movetheworldfilms.org. Um, we've got four episodes. You probably have a thousand, so I'm not in in your league yet. But uh, someday. No, I'm only I'm only in my eighties, so. 
<laughs> it's tough. I mean, it's tough to everybody's doing a podcast, right? But what makes it good? People like you and they want to watch your watch your podcast or listen to it. And that's what I'm hoping to do uh, with ours. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's an uphill cl- uh, climb like anything. But it's it's been fun so far. You know, it's it's just getting started, and that's what get off the bench is about. It's about taking that first step and just you know, I love pushing people off the damn bench. You know, just get off and and pick yourself up. And by gee, when you pick yourself up, there you go. Look, you've already started. You know that sort of thing. And and I think that um, podcasts, uh, you know, they're, they're becoming more well, they're more boom pop popular. Everyone's listening to them, but. Um, what I like is, and there's billions out there or millions out there, but I, I like them because you can have great conversation with great people and bring bring people to, you know, to the table that, that people would never have ever met, would ever have known about, you know, and and it's so exciting listening to other people's stories and their journeys and, and getting little tips and ideas and it just... I don't know. I, I really love podcasts. Really love them. I don't have enough time to listen to <laughs> tons of them, but I know there aren't enough hours in a day. So <laughs> you hope when you make one that you just carve out a little time in somebody's uh, in somebody's day that they'll listen to yours. Yeah, that's right. I have I have regular listeners, and they always message me. Oh, that was great! I just listened to George, you know, and oh my god, oh my god, I've got to fix my back door, you know. <laughs> I've got this. Hey, back then door. we will have moved the world if one person fixes their door after this podcast. We've done something. That's right. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. Now, speaking of get off the bench and moving the world and all that sort of stuff, so this podcast is to inspire people to, you know, take that shove, get off the bench, take some action. What advice do you have to anybody who might have a passion and skills like yours in the arts, so maybe film, art, music, you know, all that sort of stuff, but doesn't quite know how they could make a difference with it? What advice would you give them? To go for it and and get something done. You know, a lot of people I know sit around and they go, God, I thought about doing that. Or, yeah, I thought, and that seems like an interesting, just do it. You know, you may have nobody that watches. You may have nobody that listens. and that, But then one person finds it and then another. And then it, whole, it, it just grows and it takes off from that point on. And, and that's the beauty of it. You know, I didn't, you never know how many people are going to see your film. And then we have a screening where 400 people show up. And it, it's just, you get surprised by those moments. So I would say, don't, don't pass it by and not do it. It's, it's easy to figure out how to not do something. <laughs> it takes more effort to do it yeah. and you got to just go for it. Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, it's when I started this podcast too, is like, I'm just going to do it whether I, whether people are listening or not, you know, I'm just going to, I'm not going to control who's listening, but um, you are surprised. I'm surprised every single week by the messages I get from people that I, I don't even know where they came from, you know, and it's, I agree with you. And I think that when you, you've got a message, there's always going to be someone, there's always going to be that one person we talk about who needs to hear your message. So, and, yeah. And every now and then I hear about that from, from licensed to parent and I hear about it from the last house standing. And because you're doing something that's not necessarily going to make you rich and, you know, get you things that you might want. Those are rewards that are huge. Mm. When you hear somebody go, wow, I, I, I'm going to get that generator for my house. Mm. Wow. I'm going to fix my door or this, this or that. Or I, I realized that the kid next door, something was happening to him and I, I stepped up and helped. You just never know where that touch point is going to be. 
Yeah. And when you hear about it, it's really an amazing feeling. Yep. Yep. You've impacted positive somebody, impacted somebody's life positively. And that that's 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 priceless, actually. That sort of stuff. But yeah. oh, I have loved this, absolutely love this. You've gotten off the bench, you've just gone and said, Hi, here we go, guys. I'm <laughs> you might have got sacked, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you said, No, screw this. If I'm gonna get sacked, by God, I'm gonna bring that elephant out. You're I'm gonna trample the lot of you bastards. But I reckon I'm so happy that you're raising awareness for things that really do move the world. So I, I think it's wonderful. Now, where can people find you? Well, there's two places that, that they could go. If you go to movetheworldfilms.org, it will connect you to everything. You can, see our po- you can see our podcast or listen to them. You can get a link to watch the films. And then we have thelasthousestanding.org that is specifically about that film. And I have a third one. You give people too much, I'll be happy if you go to one website. Licensedtoparentmovie.com is where you can get information on that film. So all these things are out there. I, I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me on there. And we have a Facebook pages, Instagram pages, and um, all that stuff that I don't really know how to work. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's all uh, it's all out there. And I love the name of your podcast because when I used to try to play sports, I was never really a good athlete, but I hated sitting on the bench. Yeah. I always wanted to try to get in the game. And so I think that's what everybody needs to do. Get off the bench and get in the game. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Well, I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes anyway so people will be able to click on them and find you. And I really hope they do because, you know, even even if they watch the trailer is enough to be – provoke thoughts about what I could do better but hopefully people will actually rent your films and and you know give them a good watch so I'm going to I just haven't had a chance to do it yet but I, I've watched the trailers and they're both both of them have pulled me right into right into it so I think you well, thank you. you you're bloody wonderful so well thank you so 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 much for joining me and I've absolutely enjoyed every minute of this has been brilliant thank you for having me I appreciate it Oh, my absolute pleasure. All right, we'll catch you soon. And I might even catch up with you in person in Tampa one day. How would that be? Let's do it. Let's do it. I know some breweries. We'll meet. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Eves, George. See ya. Oh, guys, that was good. I tell you what, that's thought-provoking, isn't it? I really love that George has gotten off the bench and is doing films that move the world, but they're also, as I said, bringing an elephant into the room and saying, guys, there's an elephant here and we actually really need to address it. So I love his energy. I absolutely love I love that he got the sack because otherwise... He wouldn't have done this. Well, he might have, but, you know, isn't it funny how we are thrown into getting off the bench in different ways for different reasons? Anyway, I'm so happy that George has gotten off the bench and is doing this because we need more people like him. So I really hope you've loved that. Um, As he said, go to the website movetheworldfilms.org and everything stems from there. So Thank you very much for joining me. Go follow George and I will see you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.